Revelation chapter 21. Chapter 21. Chapter 21. Our recent Bible studies have have taken us through the book of Revelation. We've gone through the seven, the seven years of tribulation, 28 curses upon the, upon the world. Seven of those, we don't know what they are. They're called the seven unknowns. But we find ourselves now after Armageddon, after the white throne judgment, before white throne judgment was a millennial reign of Christ with us helping on the earth. And now we find ourselves, the white throne judgment has just happened and we're going to have a brand new perfect world. I need to remind you, no matter how hard your life might be, for various reasons, this isn't all there is. Don't get broken down that th this is all there is and, and it's just so hard. Yes, it can get very hard. It can be very difficult. People can be difficult. Situations can be difficult. Health issues can be difficult. But there's going to be a wonderful, perfect world ahead of us. And technically... We are two minutes and seven years away from it. If, if the Lord waits the two minutes. Chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven. The eye is John the Apostle. He was taken up into heaven and shown what was going, and he was shown what the world would look like in the future. We have just seen Armageddon, white throne, millennial reign and white throne judgment. They're at the end. Now it's a brand new heaven, a brand new earth. Years ago, uh, I think Lucy was like three or four, and we went to the beach, the beach at the Gulf. And they were all away walking with, walking with uh, Lucy down the beach and collecting shells and I made the most magnificent sandcastle ever made. So what did Lucy do as soon as she got back? What, what grandchildren do when they see a sandcastle? Knocked it all down. And oh, first of all, I wanted to yell and scream. Then I wanted to just laugh. Because isn't that life? That's life now. Because we get kicked down. Then, after she was gone for another walk that direction, I rebuilt it. Bigger and better. The best sandcastle ever. I think National Geographic had it on their front page. What did she do when she came back? So this is something that is permanent. 
It is a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, all the solar system, all the planets, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now the idea of the sea, whether or not it means the new earth will have no ocean to it. It'll just be solid ground. Or there's other definitions, the sea being great amounts of people and maybe we will need all that extra land for the extra billions of people through the ages that have received Christ or look forward to Christ. But it will be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, and it's going to, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He prophesied that it will pass away, but he's saying the word of God in its original languages is perfect. Not one jot or tittle, literally not one comma or apostrophe shall, leave, shall, shall be done away with until he comes back again till all be fulfilled. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. That's a promise. That's a prophecy. But my words shall not pass away. And again, still talking about uh, 21, 1, 2 Peter, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. New heaven, new earth. And the follow, that verse follows with seeing that all these things will be dissolved. And he's looking around. All these things on earth will be dissolved what kind of person ought we to be? Knowing that it's going to happen. What kind of persons ought we to be? And it says, in all manner of holy lifestyle and, and godliness. And then finally, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and invited many. That comes from Luke 14. We don't have time to do the whole story. But in Luke 14, a king made a great supper for his son and they sent out invitations and there were people that refused the invitation three different kinds of excuses so then he said okay well just start passing out the invitations to everybody passing out salvation to everybody then they came back and said lord it's done but there's still room then he said, go into the byways and compel them to come in. The word compel literally means physically drag them in that my, my heaven will be full. New heaven and a new earth. I promise you it's happening. Let's look at verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven, a city made in heaven. It came out of heaven, prepared like a bride, 
is ordained for her husband. She, Jerusalem, will be beautiful. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's Jesus. Jesus will be with men. And it goes on. And he, Jesus, will dwell with them, live with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. He's going to make his headquarters. I don't know what for a palace he'll have, but right there in New Jerusalem, as it, it's come down, Jesus is there, and he's going to be right there on earth with us, with you and I the born-again believers. Verse 4. Verse 4, a very famous verse. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Stopping right there for a moment. Why are there, why are there tears? Moments ago, we saw the white throne judgment. We saw our children, unsaved children, unsaved family members, unsaved friends, best friends. We saw them thrown into the lake of fire. Those whose names were not written on the book of life. And we still got fresh eyes with tears. New heaven, new earth coming down out of heaven. Jesus is with us. But how are you going to be able to forget that your loved ones who rejected Christ have no more chance? Thrown into the lake of fire. And he wipes all tears from their eyes. Verse 4. There shall be no more death. Listen, no dying. One thing that is forbidden in heaven, in this new heaven and new earth... No funerals, no dying, no death. It says no death, nor sorrow. You're not, sorrow's not allowed in the new heaven and the new earth. And it goes on, and it says no crying. Oh, we cry. Some of us cry in our night, in our night prayers. We cry, we worry, we think. Think bad, we think badly for others. And uh, I love the way Jack leads our, our, prayer, our prayers tonight. He's a sensitive, loving man who loves to talk to the Lord on our behalf. But no tears. No reason for tears. We will be living in a perfect world. It's meant to keep us. Verse 4 again, let me read it. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All things become new. Wow. One of my favorite verses, this verse, these tears wiped away, no suffering, no crying. These are two minutes and 1,007 years from now, counting the millennial. But now, there's a verse that gets me through. 
and it gets others through too. It's found in 2 Corinthians 4.17. And it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment of time, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. I'm going to read it again because we have so many people here. We really do have a lot of people here who have cancers and heart disease, who struggle physically. I want to read it again. For our light affliction, 2 Corinthians, the, uh, the Apostle Paul has had tremendous affliction, but he calls it all. In relativity, he calls it light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and I add the word time, for a moment of time in our lives, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which come to try us. As though some strange thing happens to you, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. He suffered, you and I suffer, and we are partakers of his suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed 1,007 years later, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. In Luke chapter 21, 33, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We're a Bible church. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible. The Word of God is literally God's Word. We believe that. That's what we, that's what we live for and we obey it. What did he just say? Heaven and earth will pass away. It's going to. This is all going to dissolve. But his words will never pass away. His teachings will never pass away. Look at verse 6. Jesus said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. You know you're known to God for what you desire. What are your greatest desires? What are you thirstiest for? That's what you're known to God for. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Verse 7, he that overcomes, and again, the cancers, the heart disease, the, the hurting relationships that we might have, the disappointments in life, I will give unto them that overcome. I, they will inherit all things. Inheritance. They shall inherit all things. And in that all things, we could throw in 
everything and anything our hearts desire that our righteous desires. We'll inherit all things. What makes you happiest? Oh. Verse 7 again. He that overcomes whatever's coming your way. And this is John writing. He's writing this from a, an island, a, a prison island. That he's been put there. And the world thinks that they're hurting him. He just got away from it all and God, God dictated to him the book of Revelation while he was there. He that overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my, my son, my son and daughter. And then verse 8. I'm going to read this through once and then come back and take it Pretty much one, one word at a time. I need you to realize the ungodly, those that have rejected, those that, those that rebel against having any kind of Lord in their life, of authority in their life, they're not allowed in heaven. Watch this. But the fearful the unbelievers, the abominable, the murderers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's take them a little bit at a time here. But the fearful, the fearful here, the connotation is they're worthless, they're useless. Not any of you, no one here is worthless or useless. Christ would die on the cross if it was just you. He would die for you. He would die for you to pay for your sins. We impose upon ourselves being worthless when we cease to serve God. When we cease to be useful to God. But the fearful, the, worth, the worthless, the cowardly... Scientists say the, the greatest fear generally of mankind is public speaking. So we're going to take turns tonight and everyone's going to have to come up on the stage. There goes everybody out the door. <laughs> public speaking. To be, to be a coward in speaking the word. In Matthew 10, 32, a verse, as a newborn Christian, within a week probably, I read this, as a newborn Christian, the book of Matthew. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father in heaven. That's a promise Jesus made. Read it again. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father in heaven. Next verse. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny 
before my Father which is in heaven. I read that as a newborn Christian and I already had my world turned upside down and the hell thing. I knew I was saved, but I didn't know if my best friends and loved ones were. My family was saturated with gospel tracts, sending them across the ocean back and forth. Uh, my friends, I went to their homes to try to get them saved because of hell. And some of them got saved and started going to church with me. Some of them threw me out. My best friend threw me out of his house, told me to come back when I was more stable. Whosoever shall deny be, me before men, I haven't gone back yet, I'm not stable. But whosoever shall deny me before men, not speak of me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. It says the fearful, the unbelievers, the, heaven is not going to be for people that are unbelievers. It's just not going to happen. And then it says in murderers, in whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. I want to go back to the word abominable. But the fearful and the unbelievers and the abominable. The word abominable literally means what that dumpster smells like right now. It means to stink, to smell. Huh. Abominable, to, to stink. It means disgusting. It means unnatural lust, immoral practices, the abominable. They won't be in heaven. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this pre present world. Looking for that blessed hope. Are you looking forward to it? It makes a difference when you get up every morning and you say, maybe, maybe today. Yes, what I'm doing today is very important, but maybe Jesus will come back today. And it makes your whole day worthwhile. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 13. Again, back in verse 8 of our text. But the fearful, the unbelievers, the abominable, murderers, and then whoremongers. That's a strange word, not in our culture today. It means those that practice illegal sexual practices out of marriage. Those that practice illegal sexual practices out of marriage. Whoremongers. I'm back in Ephesians 5, 3 to 7, where it says, But fornication, fornication is 
sexual acts out of wedlock. And all uncleanness, that is part of the word of porneo, pornography with our minds. And our society is so inundated with it. And all uncleanness. Or, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, wanting, the wanting, the desire to want something we're not supposed to have. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Saints, the born again believers. Verse 4, Ephesians 5, 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking or jesting which are not convenient, but rather, and here's Thanksgiving coming up, but rather the giving of thanks. Pastor Rodney is speaking this coming Sunday. I'm going to visit Angie uh, down in Nashville, Murfreesboro, Brenda. And so I'll be gone for, from Friday to Friday. Uh, but he's going to be preaching on Thanksgiving. He's going to be, his class is going to be doing uh, Wednesday night, the Thanksgiving Eve. And then I'm coming back and I'll be preaching my Thanksgiving service. And I'm excited about it. It's already helped me. When it talks about, when it talks about, but rather giving of thanks. We take so many things for granted. We take so many of our people for granted and our properties for granted. Here I, I have a 13 going on 30 year old van. I'm thinking, I've almost got Bonnie talked into another Toyota. I've almost got her talked into replacing it. And then I looked at my van after doing my sermon, and instead of criticizing or complaining about it, this helped me. I thanked God for it. I got a super deal on it. It was a wonderful, a wonderful thing. It served me so well. It's been paid off since almost the beginning. And every time I look at my van now, I thank God for it rather than wanting a new forerunner, Highlander, or a new van. Listen, don't take for granted the people or your possessions that you have. The people you have, be thankful this, this Thanksgiving. Show gratefulness, show thankfulness. Instead of complaining about what you don't have, we usually complain when, when we take things for granted. Wow. Verse 4 again, Ephesians 5, 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, it says in verse 5, Ephesians 5, 5, that there will be no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater. He has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. They won't be there. 
It would just be us. Let no man deceive you with vain words because people can talk you out of this. Oh, you're just being too serious. You're too religious. You're too separated. You're, you're, you're just missing out. I had somebody tell me that. I remembered before Christ how I, I used to go to the bars with my friends. They remembered too. And when I got saved and I stopped that, uh, they said, Dave, you're, you're missing out on some of the most fun things in life. I said, no, you're missing out. I've had that lifestyle. Now I like this. I want this lifestyle. He says, let no man deceive you. That means argue with you with vain, empty words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So be not partakers with them. And in Matthew 5, 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I think we all believe that's wrong. But in our culture, it's getting less and less and less wrong. Everyone's cheating on everybody. But in God's eyes, adultery is terrible. Old Testament, punishable by death. Listen, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in her, his heart. And that, again, men, married men, unmarried men, save your, save your looking for your wife. Married men have eyes only for her. Refuse to look at the porn. Refuse to look at the, the, the bad things on the movies and the TVs. Look away. Don't fill your heart and mind up. Because whosoever, Matthew 5, 28, even looks on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her in his heart. I just have one more passage of scripture. It's from Romans 1. Last Sunday, I did not want to read this to you. I challenged you to go home and read it on your own. But I don't think we have any kids with us. And I want to say this because our kids are much more assaulted with the gay situation in the world. Parents, grandparents, much more than you realize. This is something... That this is one way Satan is bringing down people and churches. In the South, one church was, had, they had their tech, their tax exemption taken away because the preacher wouldn't marry a gay couple. So they had took the tax exemption away. This is the authoritative scripture on on this Romans 1 26 to 32 for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature likewise also the men verse 27 leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they wanted to forget that God was watching. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despite proud boasters and the inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents. By the way, first century, first century this was written. Verse 31, without understanding, they were covenant breakers. Without natural affections, they were implacable and unmerciful. Who, knowing the, what the judgment of God is, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars will have their place in the lake of fire. What that means is they won't be there. They won't be there with us. They won't be down here on the new earth. It's over for them. God is going to make a perfect utopia for us. A new heaven and a new earth. Right now, we're in an age of grace. And there are those that some of us would love to make sure they miss that lake of fire and they get to spend heaven with us. Lord, inspire us, use us, Lord, in mighty ways. Make us useful to your kingdom. But Lord, for a moment, for a brief moment, let us praise you and thank you for what lies ahead to us. Such a wonderful, loving, merciful God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.